Amen. Well, we started a series last week called I Love My Church, and we've been talking about really a range of topics, and really the whole purpose and the heart of this series is so that we can become not just people that sit in seats, listen to a sermon, and walk out of these doors, but so that we can be people that come here on a Sunday morning and we're actively engaged, whether it's in serving our community, whether it's serving one another, but ultimately we really believe that God has a greater vision and God has a greater passion for our lives than us just sitting in seats on Sunday morning. How many of you guys agree with that? Great. So um, I'm going to start this off with a moment of just vulnerability. I'm going to confess something um, to you guys. It's going to make me feel really, really good. And some of you may be shocked, but you may not know this. But before we started this church, I wasn't a pastor. I was actually a human being. Um, And some some people think that, you know, when you you get that title of pastor and you see me up here on stage um, week after week after week and you hear me talk through different issues and you hear me teach the word, some people can kind of get this perception sometimes that, man, his life must be so well. He must not struggle with anything. He talks about marriage. Him and Claire just must have a perfect marriage all the time and everything goes well. Can I just confess something to you guys? Um... I have a tendency to be very selfish at times. Anybody have that same tendency in here? If you're not raising your hand, you're also dealing with something else. It's called pride. Um, <laughs> anybody, let me show of hands here. How many of you guys ever have a tendency just to be selfish sometimes? Well, I'm going to embarrass myself for a moment and, and tell you a little bit about my selfishness. Um, my wife actually hates splitting an appetizer with me at a restaurant um, because you know how you split it and there's this kind of like this given rule like, hey, these are my half of the chips and these are your half of the chips. Well, I never obey that rule. And uh, so it's usually like 70-30. I eat about 70% of it. She gets about 30% if she's lucky. I eat very fast. Any like fast eaters in here? Um, she, my, my wife hates coming over to my family's house to eat crawfish because we've been eating crawfish since we like got out of the womb, you know. And so we're like peeling it real fast and she's like very delicate and slow. And by the time she's eaten five, we have eaten the entire batch. Um, Another example of my my selfishness was uh, my brother Nathan, who's here with me today. Y'all give Nathan a huge hand. he, he, may, he may or not, may not remember this, but about a year ago, we were riding together in a car. You didn't know I was going to use you as an example, huh? A year ago, we were riding in a car together, and I'm a huge music junkie. Like, I love music. I'm always trying to discover new songs. I'm always researching different artists. And so I remember um, I get in the car, I um, pick him up at his house, and I was super excited. I found this new band. I had this song. I'm like, man, dude, just got to listen to this song. So he gets in, and I'm cranking it up, and we're riding down the road. And then all of a sudden, like, I see it in slow motion, his hand coming over to touch my dial to turn the song off. And he turns the song off. Now, there's three rules in Louisiana. You don't touch another man's woman. You don't touch another man's truck. And you don't touch his radio dial, right? So I remember he touches this radio dial and he's like, hey man, I just need to ask you a question. And I'm sure it was all in good fun, innocent. He wasn't trying to ruin the moment. But in my head, I had visions of like driving down the interstate and kicking him out of the car for touching my radio dial. Um, because he's like, I wanted to talk. I was like, talk about what? How good the song is? Like, what do you want to talk about? Because right now, I really want to enjoy this moment. I want to enjoy this song. Or another moment of selfishness. Um, how many of you guys have kids in here? Anybody have kids? 
Um, how many of you like, you're in bed at night, and the wife nudges you, and she's like, do you hear the baby? You're like, what? Hear what? I don't hear any. We have a baby <laughs> at night, and she kind of nudges you. Hey, can you take the three o'clock shift? Can you go and get a bottle and give it to him? And I'll be, just be flat out honest with you. Husbands, you know you don't really sleep that well. You, you straight up ignore her, and you fake sleep. You fake, you, you fake sleep. And you know why this is true? Because I do it all the time. Uh, <laughs> hey, are you, she's like, well, wake up in the morning. Did you hear that? Hear what? I didn't hear anything. I slept amazing. So, so this is all fun and games, but here's the truth. We all wrestle with some form of selfishness. We all wrestle with this meistic kind of attitude, right? Like, it's about me. Think about it this way. Nobody thinks about yourself more than you think about yourself. Nobody thinks about yourself more than you think about yourself. What is the first thing that you think of when you roll out of bed in the morning? Yourself. I'm cold, so I need to put some clothes on, or I need to go to the bathroom, or I'm hungry. I need to feed myself. Everybody thinks about themselves more than anybody else thinks about them. And here's the problem. The scripture completely assassinates, annihilates this whole idea of this self-centeredness. Like, it's all about you. I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick and say, it's not about you. Say it a little louder. It's probably your wife and you really want to say it. Say, it's not about you. It's not about you. I'll just be honest, I'm about to read a a scripture to you, and and I don't know if you realize this about scripture or not. I am called to obey absolutely everything that the Bible says, but I don't have to like it. So there may be things that I read, and to be quite honest with you, I I don't like them. Um, There's certain scriptures in the Bible that I read, and I'm like, God, why that one? Why, why that one? I don't, I don't like that one. I don't know if you guys know this about Thomas Jefferson or not, but there were certain scriptures within the Bible that he just simply did not like, and so he like kind of began to cut out different pieces of the Bible, and he made his own Bible to fit his own opinion. And I think a lot of times that's what we do in church. Well, I don't, I don't, Pastor, I don't like that verse. I don't like that scripture. And because I don't like it, I don't want to apply it to my life. So this is a scripture that we're about to read. I don't like it. It's not popular. But I truly believe if we can let it sink into our hearts that God can really grab a hold of us and begin to do something inside of us. Luke nine twenty three, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's, not a, it's a very well-known verse, but I, I don't think many of us like it because here's what it, let me read it again. If anyone, let's change the wording a little bit. If anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, then he's going to have to deny himself every single day. He's going to have to take up his cross every single day. You're going to have to take your preferences and go, God, this is what I like. This is what I want. But at the end of the day, is this healthy for me? And is this what you want? for my life. See, the, the Bible is actually countercultural. It's an it's a upside-down view of the world. The, the world tells you this, hey, if you want it, do it. If it makes you feel good, go and have it. Go indulge in it. But the Bible says something completely different. It says, actually, deny yourself. Deny what you want in that moment for something that's probably a lot better for you in the, in the future. 
And then Jesus takes it up a, a notch by saying, oh, by the way, not only deny yourself, but I want you to take up your cross daily. You know what this means? This literally translates to as, it literally means that every single day that you're taking your preferences, your opinions about how you think you want your life to go, and you say, God, what do you want me to do? And whatever you want me to do, it trumps what I want to do. And that's difficult, right? Because a lot of us, we love our comfort. We love to kind of fall into this rhythm and this routine of things. And we don't like anything to disturb what's actually going on, especially when we're comfortable. It's not really a popular verse when we begin to understand what it really means. Let me read another one to you. This is Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the key verse in this text is crucified with Christ, meaning that when you became a new creation, that our DNA, our order should be like, hey, God, at the end of the day, I want to replace my wants, my wills, my habits, my hangups with whatever you want me to do. And I know you've heard this before. I know we've sat in church before and we, we hear it all the time, but to get down on a practical level and to look at the comfort of your life and the things that you say, this is where I just feel like I'm most comfortable and this is what I want. It's kind of this meistic attitude. Can we really begin to shift? Can we really begin to change that? And I think that Christianity can be simply defined by one phrase. And here's the, the, the topic that I want to talk about this morning. This one phrase, it's not about me. At the end of the day, Christianity is not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's not about what you want at the end of the day. And listen, I know this is completely unpopular. That's why I tried to add a little bit of humor in the beginning. I mean, you are laughing and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't like this, Pastor. <laughs> I don't like this. You see, Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Let me prove it to you. He says, hey, listen, um, if you want to be first in heaven, then you've got to learn to be last on earth. Hey, if you want to be great in heaven, then you've got to learn to kind of step out of the limelight and, and be the least. But see, our, our culture tells us, hey, if you want anything, it doesn't matter what you have to do to get it. Run over people if you need to. And do whatever you need to do to make yourself comfortable and happy and whatever makes you you and yet we fail to ask the question what is the standard that Jesus is calling me to live what is the standard that the scriptures are calling me to live to and here's the truth I think this is what we've done we say I know this is what the Bible says but you know culture today it's kind of shifting it's kind of changing so let's kind of just shift some words around a little bit I don't really like this text. I don't really like how it applies to me. So let's kind of begin to talk and we can talk philosophy and we could try to begin to bend it and shape it for what we want. And it's exactly what Thomas Jefferson did with the Bible. He began to twist it. He began to shape it because there were certain things he didn't like. And let me tell you why he didn't like it. He didn't like it because he knew that at the end of the day that there was going to be a sacrifice that would be required of him. There was going to be some opinions, there were going to be some preferences, there were going to be some things that he simply just did not like, and at the end of the day, he knew that he would have to be vulnerable and live up to those things. Let's just get real honest for a moment. How many marriages could have been saved if it wasn't all about us? 
How many marriages could have been saved if it wasn't all about us? How many, listen, I'm not trying to get brutal here for a moment. This is just the truth. How many girls would have gone unmolested if it wasn't all about us? Hmm? How, how many people in the world would, would there be a lot more good done to if it wasn't all about us? See, at the end of the day, this is what I think Jesus wants to tell us today. Look, it's not about you. It's not about me, and I'm going to prove that to you even more. It's either all about me, or it's not about me. That's, that's the truth. It's one or the other, and there's usually not an in-between. And here's the problem. The all about me, it's about me, has creeped into the life of the church. It's kind of this selfishness, these preferences has creeped into the line of the church. And listen, here's what we've done. We've created all these different things that are based, really based off of opinions and preferences. So here's what I mean. So we've created whole denominations that say, well, these are our preferences. So this is how we're going to worship Jesus. This is how we're going to see it. Or, hey, this is how I want to do things. Or maybe you walk in the doors and, you know, it's a little different. Maybe faces are a little bit younger than you're used to. And the music kicks off. And, man, I wasn't expecting that. It's really loud. I don't like loud music. And so we, we begin to pick a church based off of not where we can grow, but based off of our preferences. It's too dark in here. I can't see. <laughs> I can't see you right now. There's lights blinding in my eyes. Um, and we begin to choose things based off of preferences. Maybe the music is too loud. Maybe people clap and raise their hands. Maybe you came here for the first time and you saw people lifting your hands. And you're like, why won't that guy put his hand down? The guy is not out to answer his question yet. <laughs> you know, like, what, what is going on? Maybe you don't like it. Maybe, but here's the, I said this last week, man. Maybe it gets a little loud in here during worship and people clap their hands and they sing a little bit. You sure don't mind it when you go to the football game. <laughs> right? You sure don't mind it when you're sitting at the game. I mean, I have seen some of you in your living room. Like, you would swear there's revival going on in your living room when you're watching football. Anybody ever, anybody ever do this, like, when you watch an action movie? Like, they're driving around the corner and you're like, you know, my wife and I, when, when we sit down to watch American Ninja Warrior and they're grabbing on the things, I'm literally sitting on the couch. I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And some of you are saying when you're watching football, you're like, oh my God. And then you come in church and you're like so stoic. <laughs> right? Like, what happened to you from the living room to get into the church? Because at the end of the day, the church is the hope of the world. It should be the thing that we're most excited about, right? Here's the truth. We're not about preferences. We're about Jesus. And I said this last week. I will do absolutely anything outside of sin to get more people in these doors so that they can come to meet Jesus. So maybe the music's a little bit different. Maybe people come in here, and man, they got tattoos on their arms, or you, you walk into people, and you're like, man, they, these are a lot of young people. How can I grow? And you ask all these questions, but at the end of the day, are your questions based on, can I grow in Jesus, or are they based on your preferences? I'll tell you what. If you're new here, I have always based, when I've walked into a church, and one of the things that is going to keep me at that church is how quickly can I get involved in community? And how quickly can I grow in my relationship with Jesus? And that's how I choose it. 
It's not based on, well, he, he went a little long. I mean, a preaching is a big deal, okay? Hopefully that it's good and that it's Christ-centered and you can grow and learn from it. But at the end of the day, are you willing to set aside preferences, your wants, your needs, and dive in and say, God, you know what, I want to grow. I mean, aren't, aren't you at some point, some of you are at a place in your life where you're just like, man, I'll do whatever it takes. I've got nothing else to lose. And some of us are at a place of just such desperation. And let me tell you this, the reason that you haven't had a breakthrough right now is because it's all about you. There is this pride that holds you back. Well, if I open up, if I share these things, if I get involved in community, if I get in groups, then people will begin to look at me differently. This is a little side note. I wasn't even planning this, but I've been reading this book. It's the second time I've read it. And it's called Scary Close by a guy named Don Miller. Listen, if you're taking notes or whatever, if, go read this book. It is the most incredible book that I have read on intimacy and relationships. And he talks about why people have a hard time connecting. He actually wrote the book because he, he said, I literally believed I had been through like seven or eight different relationships and all of them broke up because of me. And so I just literally came to believing that I was just bad for people. <laughs> And that relationships were never going to happen. And then God comes in and begins to intervene in his life. And he begins to realize some, some brokenness and some hurts. And ultimately, it was a pride that kept him from getting close to one another. And what he did, one of the most powerful things in the book that happened, is he said he went to this, he checked himself into this rehab center. He wasn't like, it wasn't like this, you know, he had this crisis moment. He just said, I was broken after this huge breakup. And so he gets to this crisis center, and he said one of the first things that they did is he said one of the counselors took a napkin, and he drew a circle on this white napkin, and he wrote self. He said, that's you before anything ever happened to you. You know, like when you were five, six years old, before any life experiences just kind of blew you up and, you know, wounded you and hurt you. And then he drew another circle around the smaller circle, and he said shame. So he had self, and then he had shame. And he said, shame happens because at some point in your life during that self process, somebody hurt you, somebody offended you. Maybe you walked into a room, and somebody, you know, you, you said you slipped on your words, and people thought you weren't smart, and they said, hey, you're, you're not smart. You'll never amount to anything. And so what happens? Shame sets in. And then the third circle he drew, he wrote theater. And he said, this is what happens in, in theater is when somebody hurt you because of that shame, because of that guilt, you put on a costume and you begin to act. And so what happens is you say, hey, that, that, that person that said, I'll never amount to anything, I'll never be anything, oh, I'll prove them wrong. So every time you walk into the room, you're worried about, am I going to sound smart to these people? Because you don't want anybody to ever tell you that again, Right? And, and here's what I believe that God really wants to do through this message this morning, is if we could learn that it's not all about us. If we could learn to allow God to begin to take the costume off and we could stop performing and we could stop acting, you know what he does? He begins to get into that shame side of things, that guilt side of things. This is, you know what? I love you exactly where you're at right now and I want to work through these things. And if it's not all about you, then guess what? I can get through that pride layer, that pride veneer, and I can get down to that smaller circle of self and I can begin to transform your life. And then you can walk out of here, listen, not broken, not hurt, not hung up anymore. You might still have some issues, but guess what? God is working on that self. Because God can't do anything when you're acting. (laughs) When you're putting on a costume. You know, I'm reading this book, and I I, I told my wife last night, I said, 
man, this is seriously one of the most like revelational things I've read in a long time. And uh, I said, I, I, I genuinely even think I would benefit in, in counseling in certain areas in my life. And I think we all would, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. But it, it all stems from back coming down to you have to realize it's not about you and it's not about how you feel in that moment. You know, the, big, the greatest thing that I love about community is when you walk in it, there is this great sense of maybe you walk over to somebody's house, you joined a life group for the first time, and you are so nervous, you're so scared, you're like, what's going to happen? What kind of questions are they going to ask me? And maybe for the first week, you're like, you totally clam up, right? You don't say anything about yourself other than, hi, my name is Zach. <laughs> like, that's it. That's as far as it goes. And then guess what? After time begins to happen, you begin to know people, and guess what? Now you kind of feel comfortable, and that pride that you once walked in there with, it begins to kind of break down a little bit. And then God is able to begin to work on you. You know, there's really more to life than we've been told. See, we've been demanding our way since day one, right? <laughs> we have. I have a two-year-old that is a perfect picture of this every single day. Peter, and I'm, I'm, he is the most, maybe my wife disagrees with me on this, but I don't think she does. He is the most um, strong-willed kid we'd ever had. He is. And we thought our firstborn, Eli, was very strong Well, and then Peter came along. He's like, hi, I'm Peter, and I do what I want. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's pretty much how he came out. Extremely strong-willed, and he demands what he wants. If he's done with another chocolate, I'm not kidding. If he's done, he loves chocolate milk. Like, we can't even give him regular milk. He looks at regular milk, and he's like, nope, not having it. He'll drink his chocolate milk, throw it on the ground, and be like, more. I'm like, what? Who are you? But we've been demanding our way since day one, right? So maybe when we were one or two, it was the temper tantrums. And we can all see this in our kids. But maybe now it translates into day like, no, well, I'm not happy if I don't have the job I want. So I'll just quit. And we keep quitting job after job. Or, hey, I'm not, I'm not happy in this marriage, so you know what? I quit. Or, you know what, I, 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 I'm not good at being a father, so you know what, my kids would be better without me, so I quit. And you know what that all stems from? It's all about you and how you feel and what you think is best. And you know what the most beautiful thing about community is? Is they begin to come in and you begin to see things a whole lot clearer. Because somebody can come alongside you and say, no, dude, it's okay. I know you, you feel this way right now, but let, let's steer you as leveling course correct you. Max, Max Lucado said it this way. He says, God does not, I love this quote, God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. Now let me prove this to you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. And I'm actually going to pick it up in verse 1. Um, this will actually not be on the screens. A little side note, um, if, you know, if you don't have a Bible, there's a little app, if, if you have the app store called Version. Amazing. Um, you can literally uh, download that. But here's the story. I'm going to read it to you. It's a, um, it's a little lengthy, but it's a great story. It's 20 verses, so I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region. Now, this is Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived along the burial caves, and no one, no one, 
No one could longer restrain him, even without a chain. So he was chained down in these graves because he was going crazy. Number four, or verse four, whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. Put this guy in the UFC and he would annihilate anybody. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This guy was nuts. When Jesus was still... Some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of God, the Most High? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. The evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. So there, ha- so there so happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd, watch this, of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. That should have never happened in Louisiana because we would have made some food after that, right? 14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside. Spreading the news as they ran, people rushed out to see what happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were all afraid. Then those, had seen, then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who... Watch this, it's very important. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. So let me pause here for a moment. So this man who had... We don't know, about 2,000 demons in him. Jesus casts the demons out. They go into the pigs. And now as Jesus is leaving to go preach somewhere else, he's begging Jesus, please let me go with you. Please let me go with you. Watch this, verse 19. But Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And now watch this, verse 20. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what they told him. Now watch this. Why did I read this story? Jesus saves you because he does love you. Jesus extends salvation to you. He does set you free because he loves you. But he also saves you so that you can have a story so that you can go tell other people. See, that's the most powerful thing about this story. I mean, don't you think this guy, even after all the demons are cast out, you think he has some issues still? Absolutely. I mean, he's, just, he's sitting there in disbelief. I just had a legions of demons leave me. And Jesus, I want, all I want to do is just be with you. All I want to do is just sit by you. I just want to talk with you. And Jesus says, no, go home and tell your family what I've done. And here's why. Because when you, be, in Revelations even says it this way, we overcome what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I'm absolutely convinced of this. The reason that some people do not feel like they can be set free in certain issues is because they're not talking about it. 
They're not sharing their story with other people. And the moment that you begin to share your story with others is the moment that freedom begins to set in. You know why? Because pride begins to go away. And you feel like, man, I can be open, I can be vulnerable, I can talk about these things. And yeah, people may have their thoughts, they may think this certain way about me, but at the end of the day, I share this story because I hope that maybe somebody was where I was at and they know that I got freedom. And that can be their story as well. See, the story of Legion is messy. But the thing that I love about Jesus, he didn't care. <laughs> See, what was the first response? That people, Jesus, please leave our town. You're freaking me out. Like you're killing 2,000 pigs and casting out demons. But Jesus loved that man so much, he didn't care what all the other people said. He didn't care about the noise. He didn't care about how they responded to it. And here's the thing. When you learn that it's not all about you and you begin to head on that direct path that you know that God's called you on, you're going to feel so much joy, but you're also going to have people throwing stones at you. Why, why are you doing this? Why are you living this way? Why are you, what, what's different about you? And some people will love it, and to be honest with you, some people will hate it. But at the end of the day, you're going to feel so much better because you're going to feel free. And it really doesn't matter what the criticism is. And this is why the church is so important. At the end of the day, the church is not a hotel, it's a hospital. What do I mean by that? So when you go and my, my wife and I every so often will get away for a night, which doesn't happen that often anymore. So we usually just resort to a date. Um, but when we do, I'm like very uh, tedious about picking a hotel. So we will scroll through. I mean, it should, it should take us five minutes to pick a hotel, but we will scroll through for like two hours trying to pick. I don't like the sink in that one. You know, like I don't, I don't like. And we're looking through all these things. And the thing about a hotel is you usually go there because you want to. You go there because you can choose all the preferences. No, I don't want this kind of bed. No, I, want it, I don't want to have a shower. I want to have a bath in it. I, no, I don't want to have a small TV. I want to have a big TV. No, I don't want to have uh, a view of the lake. I want to have a view of the ocean. You have preferences in a hotel, right? You get to choose exactly how you want it. And you get to come in and you get to stay and you get to settle. And what are you going to do? You just get to kick back and you get to get comfortable and you relax, you just relax. But the church is a whole lot different. See, the church is a hospital because when you go to a church, you're supposed to come in a little bit sick and Jesus wants to heal you. And then after he heals you, he wants to send you out to tell everybody else what he's done in you. So if the church is all about us, we, we treat the church like a hotel rather than a hospital. It's a preferential thing. Well, I don't like this, I don't like that. And we begin to look at it and we begin to, begin to diagnose all these different reasons of why we can't get involved or why we can't do that. And so what happens, it stunts our growth because we're so worried about preferences. Can I, can I be honest with you? I'm the pastor of this church and I don't like every single thing that we do here. <laughs> I don't like every single song that we sing. But I told Madeline from, from day one, hey, listen, I want you to pick songs if people are going to sing them. If I hate them, but people are singing them, I don't care. <laughs> if people are singing and God is transforming their lives, if I sit in the back and I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't like this song, it doesn't matter to me. You know why? Because it's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about what I want. 
At the end of the day, we want to see people that are far from God come to know Jesus. The church is a place where you meet Jesus, you get healed, and you go out in your community, and you begin to tell everyone how good Jesus is. This is what was so amazing about the opportunity that we had within the flood, right? All it was was a megaphone to a community saying, hey, we want to be known as a church. We're not about us. We want to serve. We want to give. We want to love. We had a, um, a fo- I had a foundation call me from Lafayette this week, and they actually said, listen, we, we followed you guys on Facebook through the whole flood stuff, and man, we were just so impressed with how your church stepped up, and you guys rose to the occasion, and you, know, you operate a relief center and shelter and distributed food. He said, listen, our, our foundation wants to give money to your church because we trust you guys enough to begin to distribute it to families. So, so listen, like this weekend after my wife and I, um, on Thursday, I got to go to Lafayette, I got to pick up a check, and we get to give a very significant amount of money to families that really need it. And that's all because we chose to say we don't want to be a church that's all about us. And here's the challenge that I want to give to you this morning before I wrap this up. I think we're starting to carve um, something out in this community where people realize we're not a church that isn't, it's not all about us. But here's what I want you to take it even further. You have to live that out personally. You can't just rely on the church to be that. You have to live that out personally. You know how you live that out personally? By getting in community with other people by getting in life groups, by getting known by other people. And I want to give you, this is just, this, these are my things, 12 ways we can kill our church with selfishness. Okay, and this may be very, this, these are just my opinions. And I believe, listen, if it's your first time here, some of these will not apply to you. Okay, we're talking to people that have been coming for a while and you guys feel like, okay, this is my home, this is my church. If you're just checking us out for the first time, maybe ignore some of the things that I say, okay? Or maybe it'll challenge you, I don't know. Number one, 12 ways we can kill our church with selfishness. Number one, don't put Jesus first. Meaning this, make it all about you and all about your agenda and about your comfort and what you want. Number two, don't depend on the Holy Spirit, just keep operating in the flesh, this is why the Holy Spirit is so important. You ever find yourself doing things and then you ask yourself the question, why did I do that? <laughs> you find yourself doing the same things over and over that you know you don't want to do, but you keep doing them anyway, and you hate that you're doing them, and you plead, and you cry out to God, please help me to never do this again, and then the following day you do it again. It's why we need a fresh feeling of being, God, come and renew my life. You know, one of the best routines that's happened to my wife in the past um, few months is actually our kids going to school and, and forcing us to get up like super early. I'm not a morning person at all. My wife has always had the ability to just spring out of bed and like perk up. And I, it takes me, I'm like, ah, like I'm peeling my face off the pillow. But it's been the most beneficial thing because you know what I've learned? In that moment, I have ample time. The kids are dropped off. And then, man, I, got, I still have two hours before I need to be anywhere. So you know what I've learned to do? I've learned to depend on the Holy Spirit. What do I fill this time with? So it's reading. It's praying. And God's done something great in my heart. Number three, don't preach grace. Stay legalistic. Listen, this one is so big to me because I feel like a lot of times, churches major on the minors, and they minor on the majors. 
So you totally flipped out over a Christian that you know that maybe had a bad day and he got angry and he said a few words that you don't agree with. But we completely ignore the single mom that is struggling to pay her bills. You see how that works sometimes, how the enemy does those things? Like he takes our mind and gets us distracted on, I can't believe so-and-so said this, and we begin to lose sight of the people that actually need his grace, that actually need his mercy. Number four, this one's real quick. Don't listen to sound doctrine. Uh, can I just tell you, this is what this simply means. If you, if you listen to something, you watch something, research those people that you're listening to. I give you full right. If you want to you go Facebook stalk me after the service is over, you're like, well, I will, you know? And you find, find out about their lives because there's a lot of good communicators out there and some of them honestly don't have the character to back it up. And make sure that you find people that, hey, this is some, if you're listening to somebody else, which we totally suggest that you do, hopefully I'm not the only voice that you hear and the only person that, uh, you know, that is speaking to you spiritually. I mean, I think it's, but Proverbs even says there's wisdom and an abundance of counselors. I think it's a great thing to have multiple voices. But make sure they're teaching what is true. Number five, don't be helpful. Meaning this, just be critical of everyone and everything, and don't you dare take on responsibility for yourself. <laughs> Ouch, right? So it's easy to be critical about things that are going on, and then the next question that should follow, what are you doing about it? So what are we going to do? Number six, don't pray. Here's the truth. A prayerless church is a lifeless church. There's got to be a vibrant prayer life that we begin to drum up in our homes and personally. Number seven, don't serve. Just expect everyone else to serve you. And here's the truth. Save people, serve people. Save people, serve people. You know why? Because you realize in that moment of weakness, in that moment of the greatest darkness of your life, that God leaned in and he served you. The thing that I love about Jesus is is every single time, he never sits at the table and expects to find dining. He's always the first one to put on the apron. What do you need? What can I do for you? Save people, serve people. Number nine, don't you dare live in community. Wear a mask, pretend like life is great, and continue to live the fantasy world that is Facebook, right? Listen, the greatest thing that I ever did in my life, and I I promise you this, I know there are still areas in my life where I'm just peeling that mask off. But the more and more that I dive into community, the more and more that I realize that there are these layers of costumes that God is just trying to rip off of me. And every single time one comes off, it's just like this huge load that falls off of me. It's like, ugh. Man, I I feel like I can be myself. I feel like I'm freer. I feel lighter. This feels right. It feels good. Listen, this one is for people that have been coming for a long time. And listen, I... Some of these I, I debated, like, I don't, I don't know if I should say these because people may never come back. But here's the truth. I'm just going to say it anyway. Number 10, don't be generous. Twelve ways we can kill our church with selfers. Don't be generous. And here's the truth. Expect everyone else to pull their weight while you just reap the benefits. Listen, God has called us to live a life of generosity, not just with our money with our time, with our talent, and what he has given us. Man, I want to be able to step back 5, 6, 10, 20 years from now. And the one thing that people know about this church is not how good the pastor was. 
not how awesome the people were. And although that is important, you know what I want people to say about us 20 years from now? That they can step back and say, man, that was a church that gave so sacrificially, so generously, and if they were to leave the community, the community would know that they were gone. I want to be crazy generous with what God's given us. We were able to help so many families throughout the flood, and it was because of your generosity. Many of you guys may not know this or not, but just because you simply give every single weekend, what we were able to do throughout the flood was because of you. Give yourselves a huge round of applause because of that. Number 11, don't forgive people. Harbor bitterness. Listen, if you're having a hard time forgiving someone, just remember this, that God in your darkest moment forgave you. If a thief on a cross could hang there and God in that moment forgave him, I promise you he can forgive you of anything that you've walked through. And it also gives you the ability to forgive other people that have hurt you and wounded you. Can I say this? The church may hurt you and maybe you have some wounds and some offenses from the church, but I promise you this, Jesus will never hurt you. Never. He's always gonna be sensitive with you. He's always gonna be delicate. And men, sometimes he will talk to you like a man. (laughs) but it's because he loves you. And the last one, don't love. Just stop loving people. See, I think that was the most, I think there were three things that were extremely attractive about Jesus. He loved people, he forgave people, and he was extremely generous to people. If we could be a church that just does those three things, I promise you we'll be here for a long time. It will make an impact, not just in people's personal lives, but here in this community as well. Now, those are 12 ways that we can kill our church with selfishness. If we want to know how to build those, if we want to know how to build this church to be a generous church, a life-giving church, just do the opposite of everything I just said. Do the opposite. Christianity can simply be defined by this one phrase. It's not about me. Let me close with this. I pray at the end of the day that we would be a church that cares more about the name of Jesus than we do about our own. At the end of the day that we would be a church that cares more about the name of Jesus than we do our own. And listen, guys, I get trapped up in that all the time because I can find my identity in how well I spoke on Sunday or how many people I counseled that week or how many people the church has helped or how many people we had here on a Sunday. It's easy for me to slip off and to put that mask on and find my identity in those things. But I bet it's the same way for you as well. Whether you have some kind of gift, whether you have some kind of talent, how good you are at your job, whatever it may be. I want to challenge you to take on this attitude of, God, help it to not be about me. Help me to find joy. Help me to find peace. Help me to find confidence in you.